Catherine. Good morning. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Bad. Welcome to our first podcast of Candor Therapy. <laughs> I think we should just all give ourselves a, both give ourselves because uh, that was technologically a bit difficult. <laughs> oh, all the joys. Yes. So how's your current lockdown in Victoria going? Uh, yeah, it's a bit interesting. It's not quite what I had planned for this week, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah, that's unfortunate. And you're flying to WA this afternoon? No, and tomorrow morning. Yeah, tomorrow which morning. is going to be cool because I haven't been back there for exactly a year, which yeah. is not what I planned at all in my life. No. So <laughs> oh. are you teaching while you're over there? No, I'm just going to purely just go over there and just enjoy my family and friends because that they... big bushfire that ripped through Perth the yeah. other week was that's where I lived and that was where all my friends were affected. So I've had lots of friends that have lost property and a number of them that have lost absolutely everything. So I just want to go over there and just be there for them and see if I can do anything to help. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Really I, I can't believe my house, my old house, is actually still standing. <laughs> Nothing, nothing affected, wow. even though it's like surrounded by bush. So that's, that's amazing. Whilst other people on the other side of the road um, got burnt completely. Right. So it's, yeah, but that's how bushfires work. Yeah. Well, yeah. you went last year where you are now. Exactly. So last year I had Simon burning down. <laughs> so it's, I think the moral of the story is I think you should be very careful <laughs> next year. <laughs> well, every year we get. We start burning, but we live in the grasslands here. We're a little bit too far out of the bush. Yeah. Good. Yes. Let's keep it that way. All right. Let's get this podcast going. Okay. So we think it's probably a good idea if we introduce ourselves to our audience and oh, about why we are <laughs> and about why we're, we're both uh, workers professionals within the horse industry and about you know, how we actually got there. Does that sound like a plan? Sounds like fun. You can go first. Oh, really? <laughs> All right. Here's my long version of my elevator story. Are you ready? <laughs> I'm ready. Okay. All right. So it's a little bit of a shameful story, but I'm very, um, I'm very passionate about helping people with horses. Um, most, well, because of my story that I'm about to tell you. So, I have been involved with horses my whole life, um, riding them and owning them, except for a very um, short period in my life when I went to university for the first time. And so I've always been a competitor in dressage and I've been one of those people that have been, you know, very fortunate and lucky. I've, you know, owned horses and I've been able to go to, you know, weekly lessons and sometimes when I was a kid I, you know, had lessons twice a week, etc. So I had a lot of I had a lot of education with horses. And I considered myself pretty damn good. Not, you know, I wasn't going to the Olympics or anything, but, you know, I was, I was did okay in competition and um, could progress. Um, at a time in my um, 30s, I had managed to save up and buy a very, very expensive, lovely warm blood uh, that I was terrified of. <laughs> but I also had another... Uh, little horse at the time, a little Welsh cob cross. That was a hell of a lot of fun, and so he was he was fun to take out. Whilst the warm blood was scary as hell, 
Anyway, I was, um, at the time, you've also got to remember, just to make my story more shameful, is that I am a pharmacist and I uh, had a 23-year career in university where I actually lectured and taught uh, pharmacy and my research expertise was actually in human learning. So here I was, I had uh, a life with horses and regular education about horses. I was practically applying it into the sport of dressage. Um, and I was an expert in learning. Okay, it might have been from the human point of view, but learning's learning. So anyway, this lovely little Welsh cob, I was taking through the grades and I had hit a bit of a problem uh, because he was very hard mouth, very hard mouth. So I spent uh, a lot of that, a lot of my time finding the perfect bit, changing saddle, things like that. So he was very heavy in my hand and also he tended to rush. But anyway, we got through the grades up until uh, we hit a bit of a problem when we got to median because although he could do the movements, flying changes were an issue because what he would do is that um, because he was so heavy in my hand when I'd ask for a change, he, he might change, he might, um, he might not change properly, but he would just explode off and he would just run through my hands. Anyway, um, I was this this kind of battle was going on for about a year or so and I was kind of stuck because I wanted to go up to up to medium but his changes I just could not get him under control it didn't matter how tight I made his nose band um, it didn't matter what um, you know if I put a double bridle on him or anything like that he would just he would just explode through he change and then just bolt off um, Anyway, so I had my usual coach, my regular coach back in WA, and then I also I had uh, another coach from interstate that I'd visit when they came over once a month, and I'd work with them as well. And it was during one of these sessions that uh, we were working on changes, and he was running through my hands, and this horse always had a lot of foam that would come out of his mouth and, and you know, people, instructors always tell me that was a really good thing about how much saliva and foam and stuff he had coming out of his mouth. Anyway, we're working on these changes this day and his foam went very quickly bright orange. It was bright orange. And and I stopped and I, and I, I realised that it had gone orange because his mouth was bleeding. And that completely and absolutely mortified me when I realised his mouth was bleeding. What he'd actually done is, within all the anguish and stuff like that, he'd actually bitten his mouth. He'd actually bitten his lip. <laughs> anyway, that horrified, it horrified me. I had to stop the lesson. I couldn't. My coach just wanted me to continue like it was nothing but... Um, that really, really rocked me that day that I was never been like, I'd actually realized that I'd caused this really great little horse. I'd actually hurt him. Like I had to see blood back then to realize that I'd hurt this horse. And I left that lesson like shell shock that if this was dressage, I didn't want to do it. If this is what I had to do to, for, to a horse to get upgrades in dressage or to ride it. I didn't want to do that anymore because, like, I just realised I'd hurt him. Like, I made his mouth bleed. And that moment changed me because up until that point, I only ever looked, even though we got access to all this information in the world, I only ever looked at dressage stuff, never looked out of the box, never. I just, 
uh, that was not relevant to me. People riding in Western saddles were not relevant to me. <laughs> it had to be dressage and I would only take notice of that. And not only that, I thought I knew a lot and I'd just go to my coaches and stuff anyway, you know, like why, why did I even have to? Anyway, and that moment opened my open my eyes, I suppose, open my ears, <laughs> I suppose, as well. And I was um, just about the day or so later, I was, you know, listening to YouTube and this horsemanship guy came on and he said, he just said these words and it just pricked my ears up. He said, there is no such thing as a hard-mouthed horse. There is just a horse that doesn't understand pressure and has and is habituated to pain. And that then I sat down and watched him and that, and that horseman was Clinton Anderson. And so um, he talked about lateral flexion and, and he went through a process of, you know, how to um, ensure the horse understands and how to lighten them up in the bridle. And I went and got my, my horse. I saddled him up. I went down to my arena and I picked up Run Rain to flex him laterally to the side. And he just didn't move. He just, I picked up the rein and he just braced his face and kept his head still. <laughs> and it was in that moment there, another moment of horror when I realised that, you know, what this horse had just shown is that he did not understand. He didn't even understand the bit. He didn't even understand to follow the feel of that that um that rain pressure not at all anyway um over that time that i worked in which was about 35 40 minutes i taught that horse how to follow the bit and go soft and from that moment there in 45 minutes i had a horse that was he was eight years old at the time seven or eight years old and i've been riding him since he was two three years old and that whole entire life he'd been a hard-mouthed horse that was heavy in my hand and with just a tiny snippet of knowledge, of awareness of my learning opening up, I was able to fix that horse in 45 minutes by myself and that blew my mind and that started me off on, on, a, on a journey where I've just kept learning. But the hilarious thing is, right, I realised that what I was doing was I was really compartmentalizing my life so my horsing was in one part of my life my pharmacy and my ability to to read science and etc was in another part of my life and then um, my understanding of learning how learning occurs was in another it was all compartmentalized and and what I learned very quickly is when I kind of was um, became open to new ideas is that I worked out that my ability my, my practical knowledge with horses combined with my you know ability to read science and having the literacy to be able to read uh, a number of different texts and things like that and my understanding of learning it actually all combined and I realized that I could just absorb stuff about learning and uh, you know anatomy and neurology and physiology and biomechanics and stuff like that is because I had the literacy to understand all this stuff. So I went on a bit of a journey. Anyway, so that's my story. It's a very shameful one. It's that moment where I realised that way back then, way back then to see a horse uncomfortable or that I was hurting it, I needed to see blood. 
and that's um, very shameful and I had all the tools available to me at the time to to understand better but it took that moment to break through um, my conception ideas about horses and life to become aware of it so that's my story Kat (laughs) what about yours you've got a way better story than me (laughs) I I didn't grow up with horses. I didn't get my first pony till I was 12 years yeah. old. And I got an off-the-track thoroughbred, which we love. Yeah. And <laughs> she was my first horse and I'd had a few lessons and I got a chestnut mare off the track that hadn't really done much. <laughs> and then... <laughs> I just proceeded to ride wow. Um Yeah. And I think because I had a chestnut thoroughbred <laughs> mare track as a young kid, I was really lucky that I had lots of people come into my life and offer yeah. help. So I don't feel like I ever had that light bulb moment where I was like, shit, I've been hurting this horse or doing the wrong thing because I loved her and she was my yeah. Um so I was always trying to do the right thing by her and I think I've been really lucky my whole life that people have just turned up in my life and I've learnt what I needed to learn yeah. at the time, whether it be horsemanship or other parts of my life. So I learnt, I don't like the term natural horsemanship, but natural horsemanship very early on and was really interested in like Pirelli 7 games yeah. And then found Warwick really early on. Yeah. Yeah. And all those kinds of And then I've moved from there and had, like, my parents own an adjustment yeah. property. Um, so of lots of people coming and going and being able to learn through watching them do things and whether that's how I would like to do things or I'd do it a bit differently. Yeah, so you, so you got um, a lot of. Um, yeah. I've got to ask you though, with the uh, chestnut thoroughbred mare, you might not have had any um, yeah. make your mouth bleed moments, but did she ever scare the hell out of you? No. Always. <laughs> so maybe you had your your come to God moment was slightly different than mine. <laughs> yeah, but I bet owning an adjustment centre. First of all, I'd say that gave you a lot of access to horses, like different horses, but also then seeing yeah. those people so, interact with those horses would have been like really quite fascinating and eye-opening. I probably, my my, my, my come-to-God moment was probably when I had a fall. Yeah. Uh, about, I want to say seven yeah. years ago, out riding on the road. And ended up coming off and getting kicked Ooh. in the head. Ouch. Um, that that was an interesting learning experience <laughs> because before that moment, yes. I was more than happy to get on anything, ride anything, yeah. and nothing. Me, if you came off, you just get back yeah. on again. When you come off and you get hurt and your head hits the ground, your whole brain doesn't really want to do oh, it anymore. Yeah. Um, so I had a lot of time after that where I would get on a horse and I'd be shaking and stressed and not want to do anything or 
when I got past that, I'd get on a horse and I just want to go because I don't want to sit still on them because then it's even more stressful sitting still on a horse when you don't really want yeah, to Yeah, that's really interesting. So, yeah, so that's something we're also going to touch on uh, in this in this podcast series that we're doing is also that whole confidence thing about what happens. Um, because similar yeah. to you, my first experience that horses could be dangerous happened when I was 11 years old and it's very similar is that I'd always had decrepit ponies like up until that point I think my parents had always made sure I had ponies that didn't actually want to go very fast because they're you know 10,000 years old Um, but I got a new pony and the new pony was only four like it had only just been uh, broken in and it was a really lovely pony But I, um, the Olympics were on at the time that this occurred and I'd been, you know, watching the eventing and I was going to be an eventer <laughs> at the age of 11 and I remember I took my pony out to this big paddock with, you know, some few logs in it and stuff like that. And I was just cantering around anyway. My pony bolted, bolted, and that was the – that, and she bolted over this big hill and then down this big hill and then um, was heading right towards the barbed wire fence and then did a very sharp turn and then went and promptly stopped at the gate to the paddock to the way back up to the stables and stuff. I don't, I, 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 anyway, I, I stayed on. I don't know how. I think I was just paralysed with fear that I just hung on. Um, so I didn't fall off or anything, but I got to experience that the horse actually had a mind of its own and not only that, I got to experience its power and that scared the crap out of me, right? <laughs> I was terrified. And I remember then, then I had this week, it was actually quite a pivotal moment in my life because then I had this week where I, I didn't want to get on the, I didn't want to get on this pony. I didn't want to get on it. I was, I was paralyzed. And when I got made to get on it, I did. I just sat there and cried. Like I was just, I couldn't physically even do anything. I was just petrified. And after a week of this, I remember my mother pulled me inside and said that that was, that she'd kind of had enough of watching me suffer this. And I didn't have to ride horses if I don't want to. Actually, secretly, my mother was <laughs> quite quite pleased as it happened because she's always um, really um, hated me riding horses because she'd always been worried I'd get hurt. But she kind of allowed me to do it because I was so horse obsessed that she'd set me up with horses and having proper lessons and everything like that. So anyway, after a week of me crying and, um, you know, just wanting to brush my horse and feed it, um, and she told me that was enough. And she said that, you know, she, I remember she sat me down and she said, look, you know, you don't have to ride horses you know and then she listed out all these things I could do instead like you know I could go back to do dancing or I could have piano lessons or I could go learn how to do tennis or something like that and you know I didn't have to worry because you know we'd find you know princess was my horse's name but find princess a really lovely home and you know it would be all okay and that thought just horrified I didn't want to learn how to play the piano or anything like that I wanted to ride horses and so I, I just said, no, no, and we're not selling, we're not selling the horse. I don't want to do those other things. And, and mum said, well, you know, you've got to make a choice. You know, are you going to, <clears throat> you know, you've got to 
go and, and work out now how, how not to be scared. You know, you've got to get over this because this is really horrible for, you know, your father and I to watch you go through this. Anyway, I just remember it. it <laughs> because that's the most important thing. In yeah, it flicked a switch in my head and it's, and it's not that I went down there and got on my horse fearlessly. It wasn't. It was just that I, I realised that, you know, I had to work this out. I had to just push myself out of my comfort zone and I had to work it out. You know, I had to, you know, and, and stepwise over the next couple of weeks, I just took it and I just sat on my horse, start with and just would walk, you know, I just walked and I just stayed in a safe area and stuff like that. But I was very motivated. I had to, I had to get over this and it's not that I, you know, but I just need a push from my mother. Anyway, you know, after a couple of, you know, a couple of weeks of just taking it, it slow and stuff like that. And I had a good instructor and stuff and, you know, I was off again, but I have always remember that moment of losing my confidence, always remember it. And that whole moment where my mother gave me a choice and I, I, I chose that, I chose to keep my pony and that I had to work it out was also very pivotal in my life because at, you know, at the age of 11, I had to overcome something that was really, really like emotionally, fearfully difficult. And I did it. And, um, and that moment when overcoming that kind of set me up for everything in my life, whenever I faced something really hard, especially as a young person going to university or studying or, or things in life. And that kind of set me up that I was able to overcome that that I could overcome most things. It kind of set me up as a little bit of, I don't know, spelled as it built some resilience in me. I'm not sure. But, yeah, I think, but knowing how I lost my confidence that time, I'll never forget the feeling. I'll never forget how how I, I lacked any control of it and how paralyzing it was that I'll I never forget that. So whenever I work with people that have lost their confidence, um, I really empathise with them because I know how that feels and you got no control over it. So are you similar to that? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think that mine probably took a little longer than a couple of yeah. weeks to come back. I don't know whether that's as you go up yeah. it's a little harder um, or I was old enough that no one could tell me I was yeah. getting rid of my horses. <laughs> I ain't going to sell princess. <laughs> No, no, no selling of the ponies. Um, but, yeah, no, it wasn't a fun experience. And I think up to that point in my head I had believed that there was always some aspect yeah. of control and that even when it went wrong, th- there wasn't a near-death yeah. experience. Yeah, they were very lucky, oh. very lucky. Yeah, things can happen very quickly. But yeah, you can. Yeah. So, have you had any falls since oh, you were my that goodness. age? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've had a lot of falls. So, the, the very flesh expensive warm blood that I bought that terrified the hell out of me, um, you know, I'd fall off him once a month. Once a month, I'd just fall yeah, off him. Yeah. He just, like, I'd always come off the offside because he'd always just. He'd, what he'd do, he'd, he'd, he'd spook, he'd, he'd shine and spin yeah. and it was so quick and, yeah. um, and I never got hurt falling off him because he spun and he was so athletic he got so close to the ground I think when he did it that I'd just like slide off the offside and um, be on the ground again. But, yeah, no, I've had some, I've had, you know, some significant falls since. Um, yeah, but I've, I luckily I've, I haven't been, like I've broken arms and, and um like I've hurt knees and things like that but 
you know, I've, I've been, I've been lucky, <laughs> very lucky. Um, I have, when I, my last four that I had, I injured my back. Um, again, it was just one of those things. It just happened quickly, you know, and you just, just come off the side. And, and I think a kangaroo, like where I lived in Western Australia, a kangaroo, and it was very early in the morning and, I think one jumped through the fence and I just, anyway, it was just one of those things where just a few bad moons aligned and I popped off and I hurt my, I, I actually thought I broke my pelvis, but I, I didn't, but I badly injured my sacroiliac. And um, just injuring that sacroiliac joints taught me a lot about horses as well, that I can tell you. But I do remember when I got on a horse after that for the first time, I had a little bit of that moment of not paralyzing fear at all like I was when I was a kid, but I got on and I just remember um, I just couldn't stop thinking of Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> and, like, if one more thing happened to me, I was just going to shatter. That's all this. And this thought I was riding around and that's all the thought that I could have. It just really preoccupied my thoughts of thinking of Humpty Dumpty. <laughs> anyway, so what I did, by this stage, you know, I've been uh, coaching, giving clinics and stuff for a while. I was pretty quick to aware what was happening to me. And I will talk about fear and, and why that actually happens. Is that, you know, my brain, you, you know, you don't have any control over what your brain identifies is potentially dangerous and makes you feel uncomfortable <laughs> and warns you to like move away from the dangerous thing. And that's what was happening to me at that time when I got on that horse. So to realign my thoughts, I put, I just put out some cones and I just rode from cone to cone to cone to cone to cone until I trained my brain that I was doing something that I was safe with, you know. And so anyway, we can talk a lot more of that through in podcasts to come. But, yeah, so I had a bit of, a, a bit of that sneak back. So, you know, and I really only keep that at bay because I understand how to, how to stop it and solve it and, and control that, the confidence part of me. But I do have, I, I really understand people when they lose their confidence and it's not something that you, you plan to do at all. It's a complete and absolute um, natural protective mechanism when your brain identifies that something is potentially dangerous and horse riding is potentially dangerous. So it's a completely logical, emotional thought. <laughs> yeah. So that's me. Absolute craziness we get on, yes. isn't it? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah, but there's a way that we can do it um, that uh, decreases uh, risk significantly for your own safety but also for the welfare of the horse. And, um, you know, horse riding can give uh, so many benefits uh, to people. It brings a lot of joy. It's a hobby. It's an interest. But, you know, we can really work with horses and, you know, make them gymnastically sound and healthy and, you know, have, have good purpose in life. You know, so you can it can all come together. Um, if you've got awareness about it, you learn knowledge and stuff to help you understand horses, interpret them and make good training decisions, um, skills that you develop to be able to work with them. And, you know, but you do need this big dose of self-awareness of stuff because that um, that helps that helps everything along and it again makes good training decisions being able to self-monitor yourself and, and understand that you're human and that you're a living creature and that you know part of you will try to look after yourself and impact what you do and how you move and things like that but having an understanding of that can really um yeah really increase the fun and decrease the risk with horses that's what i reckon anyway <laughs> 
<laughs> so are we going to get on to talking about what we plan on talking about our yes yeah yeah we can we can we can talk about that we should introduce we it because it's just it. like so we see there's a um there's a a culture of ignorance about horses about skills required to work with them and about that self-awareness that you require there's there's ignorance um within our within the horse industry culture well really it's there's that really in every aspect of life really um however we want to set this podcast up to to series to talk about that and I really want to say up front that I don't want to see it as a bad thing because I was it. I was part of it. You know, I'd lived that life and I wasn't a horrible, nasty person that was deliberately ignorant uh, or to, towards my horse and, and dismissive and closed-minded or anything like that. I just didn't know. <laughs> I just didn't know I was those things. And people out there that are doing um, things to their horses or, you know, managing their horses in a certain way, which is actually ignorant, they, they just don't know and they're not doing that in, in deliberately or intentionally, not at all. They think everyone thinks, the majority of people, think that they're doing the absolute best for their horse. Do you believe that? Yes. Absolutely. I don't think anyone thinks that they're trying to do wrong by their horse, that they just think that what they're doing is important life lessons for the yeah, horse. Yeah, like look at me. Look at me. I had to see blood to work out that I was hurting my horse, you know. But I think a lot of other people in that same situation, even – having seen blood wouldn't be able to make those same oh yeah <laughs> like, you know the, the coaches I had at the time were like oh don't worry about that it's <laughs> just like oh well hopefully that'll teach him not to pull so hard next time you know like that was their attitude which mortified me but yeah look there, there is but everyone needs their like that their something will happen that will rock them and you got a choice that you can either close your mind off, la, 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 and just keep going down the track or you can use it as a moment to, you know, to change. And I suppose I use that as a moment to change. But still it's just, you know, you can only see what you know to see. And if you don't know it, you know, you will never see it. And that was like with me. So I had to see blood to know that I was hurting that horse, you know, I could have just looked in his mouth and, and seen the, the bruising on his bars and the wear on his teeth as well. You know, that's another massive physical thing I missed. Or, you know, the way that he went or the fact that he was rushing, you know, his development of muscles on his body and stuff to work out that I wasn't training correctly and that he was sore in his hind um, and, and sore all over the place as a whole lot of things. Or just his responses, just the fact that, you know, when I picked up the rein that he didn't respond to that bit, that was showing that the horse did not know and was requiring me to shout at him to do anything. Basically I was able to steer him because he basically allowed me to uh, wrestle his head around, <laughs> like physically, uh, you know, drag <laughs> his head around. And, you know, and people are just oblivious. Like there is no such thing as the hard-mouthed horse. There isn't. Horses don't, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, this like this screaming amount of pressure of this piece of metal in my mouth, this feels fantastic. You know, it's not, it's not done by that. So, yeah, we, what I hope to do with this podcast and with everything that I do and, and you as well is that 
you're trying to pull people out of that world of ignorance because just understanding stuff and getting skills it's so empowering and it makes everything so much more fun like i remember staring at my you know the warm blood that scared the hell out of me um, he ended up not scaring the hell out of me at the end uh, yeah. he actually ended up being the quietest horse i think i'd ever met in my life that's how little i knew but i remember look at him looking at him one day when he was staring off into the distance freaking out about something that i didn't know what the hell he was even looking at and I remember just looking at him like he was a black box of mystery and I had no idea what was going on in his head, you know, no idea. Um, and, you know, just wished that he would just behave and relax, you know, and just stop being so freaked out by life. And as I said, just looked like a mystery black box, like this his mind. And, you know, now I know what I know, there's no mystery about it. But no mystery. Horses are the most gentle, gentle, trainable creatures on the planet that, you know, that once you can see them and you can see how they communicate, um, they actually don't shut up telling you exactly what they know and how they feel and about their history. They tell you that loud and clear. You don't need to be an animal communicator. Yeah, that's another thing that's we can another. talk about one day. <laughs> you don't need to call on the Archangel Michael to help you out with your horses. They tell you loud and clear. With they just they just talk to you in their um, behaviour and actions and the muscling on their body and the wear on their feet. You know, they tell you loud and clear about how they how they feel, what they know and what's happened to them in their life they tell you loud and clear <laughs> you don't need anyone fancy yeah that's for another podcast so Catherine, yeah, you better absolutely. tell us what you do as a profession because it's very fascinating okay um i'm a farrier um and i have a pretty cool base of clients that are Absolutely amazing. Um, I started off trimming horses' feet and then decided that mm. I wanted to learn more, which mm, seems to be cool. an ongoing thing in my life. Um, and so I went into learning um, from Daisy Bicking about glue work and rehab yeah, laminitis cool. and that sort of stuff. Some really cool I was like, I had trimming and I had this rehab stuff yeah. and I wanted to learn in the bit in the middle. So then I went to America. Oh, cool. So you put shoes on school. as well, things like that? Yes. Yep. yep. So I now do uh, steel shoes, poly shoes, boot fitting, anything and everything. Uh, that is cool. I now, enjoy how many female barriers are there in Victoria and Australia? Do you know? I always kind of guess from the amount I know. I think there's about yeah, well. four of us now, maybe. So there's, there's, yeah, that's yeah, amazing. It's getting better. Because I went to a um, pretty cool, like a barrier workshop once, and I had a you know a cadaver leg of a horse. <laughs> I could not even clip the clippers. Like it was just. <laughs> How the hell do you do that? I've got no idea. Like with all my might, 
I think. Oh, I know. I don't think so at all. And I just, it would seriously take me six years to trim a horse. And by that time, its feet would have curled around by then, by the time I finished. I've never, it is the hardest job. I think physically hardest job I think I'd ever attempted to to do was, um, yeah, yeah, much respect. much respect to your forearm strength um, <laughs> to be able to do that and your back and everything like that but yeah what a necessary profession is that within the horse world like as I go around helping people um you know horse soundness issues are way up there as as being the root cause of, a, of of horses you know feeling discomfort and stuff like that when they're working so and and also just the you know depending yeah. on where I go about access to you know hoof professionals and hoof experts and you know and horses that you know need help with their feed or or whatever they you know they're so tied to who they've got access to and the quality of that work that yeah what you do much respect it's um it's such a important aspect of owning a horse is how good your farrier is so yeah I think that's really amazing and especially because you can do all that. But also that's a, wow, is that a great insight to horses, working with them and um, and horse ownership. Oh, absolutely. I, I'm so lucky to be able to go and see a range of horses every week and see how they're going in their training yeah. and know how their body feels and all those kinds of things. Cause- yeah, well, you can tell so much from a horse about, you know, when you're just picking up their legs. They tell you so much. They tell you what they know, yep. if they know how to do that particular job, how they feel about it. But also if there's any, um, you know, it's discomfort in their body, you can see that. But also you can also see that from their feet as well, you know. Yeah. Yes, and how yeah, they absolutely. wear and how they're traveling. And we've had a really yeah. bad season for yeah. laminitis in Victoria this year. Yeah, in the grasses and everything like that and how that affects the horses. Yeah, wow. Yeah, where I lived in yeah. WA was it was very dry and rocky. There was no pasture, like perennial glasses was was it. And so when you you had to hand you know you had to hand feed horses the forage. You know there was no pasture, whatever they can eat on. And I always felt really bad about that. You know my horses, I wish they were on you know in lovely grassy paddocks and stuff like that. And still I started travelling around and seeing horses that lived in lovely grassy paddocks that were so laminitic or had varying degrees of laminitis and and then realising that my horse is on that hard ground, you know, eating their low-sugar, you know, meadow hay. That's <laughs> good mix. You know, as I was actually able to control that type of thing a lot better than when they're just out in the pasture. Yeah, so happy if everyone yeah, put in dry yeah, lots. because they're not actually designed to to live on that. You know, they're they're designed to live on very low quality um, pasture and survive on that quite well. Yeah, so you know, lots of abundant, wonderful grass. Not necessarily the greatest thing. <clears throat> Mix into that if the horse is suffering any kind of chronic stress with high cortisol levels, and you got more of a potential diabolical disaster in that regard as well. Yeah, that's another 16 that's podcast another, we can talk like... about. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I think our plan is um, over our podcast, which we're going to do regularly, is is look at this to try and break through um, and to help people with their 
ignorance. So like I've been on the other side of the fence of, of thinking I was very educated and knowledgeable and skills, skilled um, to work out that I was, I was really missing some really key information. And I suppose what I want to do is I want to do what happened. I, I want to help people without them having to do something horrific or have a big scare and then also to have their come to God moment is to, to do that without what I had to do to try to promote and ideas and to, unlock um have allow people to have what's called a light bulb moment technically it's actually called um a threshold of 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 not a knowledge threshold uh, which means that humans are really interesting they you know when they learn things is that they need to actually have a light bulb moment to change what they see so until they've crossed that threshold, until they've had that light, light bulb moment, um, they won't be able to see it and they won't be able to what's called conceptualise it. They won't be able to get it, okay, but then there'll be something that I said, like, you know, is that light bulb moment where they cross that threshold where it changes everything how they see it. Um, and so that's what I want to do. I want to be able to give people those little moments of, of reflection or that so they can have that light bulb moment, which means they can go that extra, they can go further. They can go kind of, you know, past their ignorance into, into seeing things differently, um, which makes things actually more fun and less dangerous <laughs> and, and much and improve welfare for horses. So that's our aim is to create those moments. Mine is the drama. Yes, <laughs> the tears and the emotion and horror and and what the <laughs> poor horses have to uh, have to to uh, have to go through. Yeah, that sounds like plan. So, so this is a bit of an introduction to sounds ourselves. Like plan. Um, and yeah, so we're going to be doing this regularly, and um, and I think on both our social media platforms, we've probably put out some. If people have any questions for us, like I've already collected uh, quite a few questions that we can talk about um, to do with this kind of um, theme that we want to do. Um, so you collect some, I'll collect some, and we can address them in podcasts. I think that sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> no worries, Kat. It's been Thank great talking so to you. And I'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye. <laughs>